Welcome to Tax Breaks, the Moody's Tax Podcast, where you find informed discussions, lively debate, and sometimes a little lighthearted fun around tax issues in Canada, the United States, and around the world. Good day. My name is Kim Moody. I'm the CEO of Moody's Tax, and I'm here with two of my colleagues today. Normally, uh, in the last little while, it's just been one, Kenneth Kung, who's, who is uh, here to my right. Uh, and Kenneth is... Uh, a director of Canadian Tax for for our firm and one of the smartest guys around. And off to my left is another smart guy, uh, Azam Rajan. Azam is uh, a director of our U.S. tax practice. Azam, you want to say hello? Hello, everybody. So, uh, so today we're going to pick a kind of a chestnut topic. We've talked about this many times publicly, but you know, there's no shortage of issues that continue to arise when you have a U.S. citizen who is resident in Canada, living in Canada. And uh, so why do we care about this from a tax perspective, guys? I mean, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Asim, to start with. I mean, U.S. citizens, why do we care when they live in Canada? There's a number of factors, Kim, and, and, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a question we get all the, all the time. Um, and as a lot of our clients know, is U.S. citizens have um, a, 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 you know worldwide taxation based on their citizenship, not whoa, their residence. Whoa. So, so are you telling me, Asim, that you know? Obviously, we know the answer, but for the you know for the people that don't study tax like we do, are you telling me that if you're a citizen of the United States, that you're just so damn lucky to be a U.S. citizen that you're going to file U.S. tax returns and, and pay? U.S. tax potentially on your worldwide income for life? Is that what you're saying? I'm not sure if lucky would be the right term, but that's exactly right, is that you are required to report your worldwide income to the IRS every year. And a lot of our clients come in or or their accountants come in and say, you know what, I didn't know that they were a U.S. citizen because they have a Canadian passport. Right. Right. So, so before or they we were born that, in Canada. So we, before we go to that important topic, just let me reconcile something here and obviously I know the answer I'm just playing playing a little dumb here but Kenneth mm -hmm. do, do, does Canada tax on a citizenship basis no Canada do not tax on a citizenship basis Canada don't care what citizenship you have Canada tax you on your worldwide income when you are resident in Canada and what does resident mean Kenneth resident means having sufficient ties with Canada such as your spouse, your house, your kids, and other things uh, you have in your life that are that may be in that may be tied to Canada, or perhaps spending too much time in Canada. Like yep, a, there's a, also also a deeming rule in Canada that says even if you have no ties in Canada, but you were present in Canada for more than one hundred eighty two days in the year, you are deemed. Um, a resident of Canada subject to worldwide taxation for the entire year. And, and as I'm, you know, before we get to who is a U.S. citizen, does, does the United States tax on a residency basis as well, or is it just really simple that if you're a citizen, that's it? What about, is, is there any residency-type rules that are similar to Canada? Well, of course, Kim, nothing is simple in <laughs> tax, right? So, of course, if you are a Canadian and, and you passed a substantial, or if you want to call it fail, the substantial presence test in the United States, you could be deemed to be a U.S. resident for tax purposes, which is a different test than immigration, right? right? And then subject to worldwide taxation and reporting just like a U.S. citizen. 
So like Kenneth said, if you're the deemed residency rule in Canada, it's pretty straightforward. If you're in Canada for 183 days or more, boom, you're resident of Canada for the entire year. Mm -hmm. Of course, an income tax treaty with another country might save you, but mm -hmm. that's a topic for another day. But um, is it as simple as 183 days, or how does the U.S. compute based upon this, I heard you say, substantial presence test? Right. So it's not as simple and straightforward. It is a hyper-technical test. It's a very mechanical test. All right. So they, they look at your current years, the number of days in the current year, and then they look at one-third of the year before, and then one-sixth of the year before that. And this, if the sum of those days present in the United States based upon that is what? If, it, if, if it's over 182 days, then boom, you are a U.S. resident. So in plain English, if that's... For tax purposes. Right. So if that, in plain English, if that algebraic formula that you just said, which I heard you say 100% of the current calendar year days, mm -hmm. plus one-third of the previous year days plus one-sixth of the second previous year, if that sum is 183 days or more, boom, you're deemed resident of the United States as well for worldwide taxation purposes. Correct. And then the issue then becomes is, as you noted, how does the treaty help? Right. Okay. Is there another out for the United States, though? There, There is under domestic law. Um, that is the closer connection test. Right. right. And that doesn't depend on treaty. So a lot of our clients will say, well, you know, I'm not a Canadian, so do I, how come I, do I still get the benefit of the Canadian treaty under, under this uh, closer connection test? And it's, it's a misunderstanding that the closer connection test is grounded in U.S. domestic law. Right. We don't need the, the treaty. So any person, Canadian, South American, anywhere, European, they can also file that closer connection form. I understand that you can only rely on that U.S. domestic law exception, this so-called closer connection exception, if you're physically not in the United States for um, 183 days. In other words, if you are in the United States for 183 days or more, then that's right. you can't claim it, right? That's exactly right. There, there, there's always traps for the unwary when you're right. using U.S. domestic law. Uh, but that's a that's a, exactly right. You have to manage your day count. But getting back to the issue of U.S. citizens in Canada, right, which is the topic, today. right? Yeah, that's not an issue for them no, because one of the not. benefits of being a U.S. citizen is that you can spend and enter and leave the U.S. whenever you you want, right? Right, and COVID has highlighted that issue. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, what, what we were talking about before is a lot of our clients are Canadians with substantial U.S. investments and how they, they manage those investments. Right. Right. So I appreciate you getting us back on back on track, Asim, because you're absolutely right. The topic today is U.S. citizens resident in Canada. But inevitably, whenever you talk about U.S. taxation, mm -hmm. you're going to trip into the substantial presence test and and who's a citizen and mm -hmm. is a green card holder. And so let's just dive into that topic right now. So, and, and, you know, I'll tell a little story which I've told publicly to many, many people, including you guys. And, mm -hmm. you know, I became savvy to U.S. taxation law by no means in your league as I'm obviously you're a U.S. tax lawyer and I'm not formally trained, but on an issue identification basis, you know, became fairly savvy of some of the issues. So I started asking my clients, you know, over 25 years ago, are you a U.S. citizen? Because if the answer was yes, I would immediately put my pen down right. and make sure that they got good advice. But, um, 
Correct, and as we know, that that's the wrong question. Exactly, which is the point of my, my story. So about 25 years ago, I asked one of my good clients, are you a U.S. citizen? And the client came back and said no. Well, fast forward the clock 20 years later, turns out they were a U.S. citizen. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because they were born in the United States. And as I found out through U.S. immigration law, if, if you're born in the States, you know, with very, very few exceptions, as I understand it, you're a U.S. citizen. And so we'll ask, you know, questions to our U.S. colleagues, Oliver Branch, who leads our, our uh, U.S. immigration practice, you know, tough immigration questions uh, to make sure that the person is or is not a U.S. citizen. And so what else should we... Uh, and, and also, of course, if the parents, even if you are not born into the U.S., uh, but if your parents are U.S. citizens, some in some circumstances, you can be a U.S. citizen too. Yeah, so, yeah, Kenneth is kind of stealing my thunder there. That's exactly <laughs> right. Is Even if you were not born on U.S. soil, but if both parents were U.S. citizens, you will acquire U.S. citizenship through that, that case. The other way is, and it's hyper-technical, we do a lot of presentations. If What, what happens if you were born to one uh, one parent is U.S. citizen. Then you have to go back to um, how old was, where was that citizen born? How how old were they when they left the United States? Blah blah blah. Right, right. And so it's not an easy answer. Uh, um, you know, my colleague Kevin Kirkpatrick and I, when we do these presentations, Kevin likes to to to, to frame it as well. Once you acquire U.S. citizenship, right. You can't just say, well, oh, I got a Canadian passport. I became a Canadian citizen. So that, that overrides that, right? Right. The answer is no, as you guys guys know. It's kind of like a, like a virus, <laughs> right? Uh, once you got it, you got it. Yeah, kind of a timely topic these days, but yes. Right? So a lot of our clients will come in and say, oh, yeah, Kim, I was born in New York City. Look, but Mike, I have a Canadian passport. Yeah, so I'm not a U.S. citizen. Exactly. So what's your answer to, to, to that, Kim? I'm saying you better talk to Asim and likely better talk to Oliver Branch. Right. That's, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, the other part of it, Kim, is that you touched on green card holders. Right. So right. what is a green card? I mean, a lot of mythology out there. So maybe just explain for our audience what that is. Yeah, so there's there's, there's two issues here, right? The, the, the green card, there's an immigration play, and then there is the tax issue, all right? So, for example, my mom is a green card holder, right? Uh, she's a Canadian citizen, um, but she lives uh, in the United States. Mm -hmm. she, she acquired... Uh, her, her green card because she married a U.S. citizen um, and she has a right to stay in the United States and she has to report her income on a worldwide basis. The issue with, with a green card holder, though, for tax purposes, you are just like a U.S. citizen. There are some nuances with respect to estate planning, right, that we need to be careful of uh, because, of course, the estate tax is, is based on the issue of domicile. Right. Right. So uh, when we're talking about, you know, tax, big picture tax, a green card holder is just like a U.S. citizen in terms of income tax. Um, not necessarily the, the same case for a state and gift tax plan. Right. OK. The other part of it, though, is um, if, if you want to give up your citizenship, there is uh, there's a set of rules that you have to think about. Right. For green card holders, that may or may not apply depending on how long they've held the, the green right. card. And, and that's a separate topic that, as you know, 
as one of our colleagues, Alex Marino, does a tremendous amount of work in this area. You do a fair amount of work in the mm -hmm. area as well uh, with our colleagues, but that's a topic for another day. Mm -hmm. But, you know, because there's no shortage of people that once they find out they're U.S. citizens, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, um, really? I am? Yeah. And then they need to assess whether or not, you know, is that a good thing, a bad thing, or neutral? And obviously all the consequences that come along with it. Right. The other part of it, though, guys, is as we've talked about before, is most of the time we come in where, you know, we our client is married to a U.S. citizen. Right. Or is a U.S. citizen married to a non-citizen. Yeah. Right? And then if, if you think U.S. tax law is complicated and Canadian tax law is complicated, try marrying both of those yeah, it's together. It's complicated. Right. As, as our firm tries to uh, navigate these waters all the time with, with client files. So so let's let, let's just move forward then. So so we, we've talked about if you're a citizen, you're taxed under, uh, under United States domestic law on, on your worldwide income, you've got a whole bunch of filing requirements. Mm -hmm. Under that U.S. citizen is living in Canada, so they're resident of Canada, so Canada, they've got a whole bunch of filing and reporting requirements as well. Mm -hmm. Is it that? blunt where you you you've got double the filings and double the tax or what happens here kenneth and has them double the, double the filing yes uh but not necessarily double the tax right and why is that mm -hmm. because both countries uh generally have a foreign tax credit system to avoid double taxation generally speaking um for example under canadian tax uh, if you have foreign source income, like U.S. source income, and U.S. tax is charged on that income, the, the Canadian may take a credit against the Canadian tax otherwise payable on that foreign source income uh, for the U.S. tax paid so that um, Canada won't have the right to tax that, uh, to, to levy that same amount of tax again. Now, there are sometimes leakage. So, for example, uh, investment income, like property income, like, like dividends, interest, rental income, on those things, Canada will give you a maximum foreign tax credit up to 15% only of the... 15% of what? 15% of the gross, uh, okay. gross, gross revenue, uh, right. U.S. source revenue. And, um, and the rest you will have to take as a deduction which will work out to some sort of double tax from a Canadian tax perspective. Yeah, if I, if I just want to just bring it back a little bit, guys, is, yeah, there are a lot of cross-border tax issues with respect to foreign tax credits and, and, yeah. and optimizing and tax it's complicated. rates. It's complicated. But the one thing that, you know, a lot of our clients trip over, Kim, is, is in Canada, very basically, each individual is taxed. Mm -hmm. In the United States, so in Canada, income splitting is a big part of everyday tax planning. Yeah, it's common. In the United States. doesn't like it. Exactly, <laughs> but that's just the way the, the rules are. And in which if you're dealing with a uh, what we call mixed marriage, mm -hmm. that doesn't work. Right. Right, because the United States tax as a family. Right, so we, we commonly see, well, husband wants to do some income splitting with the wife who is a U.S. citizen. And I tell a client, I don't care what you do, client, for Canadian tax planning on income splitting, because your whatever income that 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 you you know 
apply to your wife, she's going to be subject to U.S. income tax on on that. Right. Right. So when we when we have a lot of these structures where we have preferred shares or we have um, these are for private business owners. Exactly, private yeah. business owners that's own 50-50 by mixed marriages. Right. It becomes very problematic for one spouse or or both. Right. Right. And the reason for, for that is because the United States takes a very skeptical view generally in terms of, well, if we have a U.S. citizen that owns a foreign corporation, they automatically think, you know, ding, 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 they're hiding money in a Swiss bank account or a foreign offshore bank right. account. Right. So there's punitive anti-deferral regimes, as so, you, so, you know. So what I'm hearing is it's complicated, and you better do it right. But let me let me take it back to, you know, just before we end this discussion, because we could talk about this topic forever, right? Mm -hmm. There's two additional things I just want to quickly talk about. One is their filings, and one is, as I understand it, there's a state tax for U.S. citizens. But let me talk about the filings to begin with. You know, before, I've been practicing a lot of years, um, you know, almost almost 30 years now. Kenneth, I don't even think you are 30 years old. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You just turned 40 here over the last weekend. Mm -hmm. So, And ASM, you and I are similar to that. You've been practicing a lot of years as well. But, you know, when I first started practicing, um, you know, Canadian practitioners like myself were not very savvy to U.S. tax issues. <clears throat> and it seemed to be kind of the prevailing attitude that, yeah, you might have some U.S. Uh, tax filing obligations and maybe you should be paying U.S. tax, uh, U.S. citizen resident in Canada, but they're never going to find out about it. And mm -hmm. so, you know what, just kind of close your eyes to it and move on. Did, did you experience that early on in your career as well, Asim? Absolutely, Kim. That, that, it, it's a great point that you're raising. Is It was very easy to have this attitude was, I dare you to find me. Yeah. Right? Or come and get me kind of thing, right? I could tell you some egregious stories about that, but I won't. Right. Uh, but, and, and um, you know, I just, I was just looking at this, at this article that, um, you know, there was a U.S. citizen who was hiding, you know, millions and millions on the offshore accounts. And of course, the Panama Papers came, came out and, you know, everybody, now there's a light being shined on everybody, yeah, yeah. Canadians included. Uh, but the issue is, you know, on, on a bigger picture is FATCA. Yeah. Right? I think that's where, where you're going. What is, is FATCA? So FATCA stands for the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act. And I was actually in the United States when this was, was un unfolding um, because our law firm was helping um, high net worth individuals kind of come clean with the IRS. And this whole right. thing started was there were high net worth indiv individuals who opened bank accounts in the Caymans. And that Cayman Bank would issue a, a, a Cayman-based credit card. Yeah. So they'd start spending their money using a credit card from the Cayman Bank. Or Swiss Bank. Or a Swiss Bank, whatever. And the IRS is like, well, or the Treasury Department is like, we don't know where this money is coming from. So all of a sudden, now there's this Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act where the Treasury Department and the IRS has deputized every foreign bank. And say, so you will tell us who your U.S. citizens are. And if not, then there's going to be, there's, this 30% withholding tax. And Kenneth, it's a withholding tax, but it's more of a penalty. There's no credit for it, right? So all these and banks... And that's, that's a penalty to the bank themselves. Correct. They don't comply. Exactly. So, so now the banks are essentially outing all U.S. citizens. And Kim, you and I have talked about this, right? Every year, 
uh, I think it's a CRA publishes the list of documents and or transcripts that they have shared with the IRS. The number of documents that they shared, yeah. Because right. as I understand it, as a, you know, FATCA in its domestic form is pretty rough, right? In other words, okay, foreign banks, you want to play in our domestic market, in our foreign, in our financial markets? This is what you're going to do. Oh, you want to in enter into an intergovernmental agreement or an IGA, it's called? Okay, fine. We'll we'll take some of the rough edges off, but mm -hmm. but you better comply under this under the terms of this agreement. And Canada has entered into that agreement. I mean, they pretty much had no choice. Um, and uh, and every year, every September, you know, the number of documents that are published are huge, um, and it's been growing. Right. And and as as you said, the way they softened it was essentially first it was Treasury and the IRS going after the banks. And then the government stepped in and said, no, no, you can't go directly to the banks. The banks have to work through the domestic country's tax authority. So in Canada, the CRA. Right. So now it's the IRS and the CRA coordinating on information collected by the banks. Right. Which there's a lot of, you know, when people actually understand FATCA and the various you know, government agreements, there's no shortage of opinions, especially from non-tax practitioners. I actually have to say that I'm... You know, my own personal views of FATCA, it's absolutely brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant the way they did it, but the United States, frankly, is the only country in the world that could have got away with such mm -hmm. extraterritorial law, in my view. Yeah, because it's, it's a function of we are, we being the United States, are the largest and most liquid commercial banking system in the world. Wow, and it's also the largest financial market right. in the world. Right, so. right. And the other part of it, though, you know, um, and I'm not sure if, you know, people thought about this, though, because of FATCA and now there's common reporting standards and whatever yeah, else. Well, the other, exactly. Copied, right? uh, the issue now becomes, though, is that the IRS, because they're, they're not following that. Yeah. The United States is almost now a tax haven. Yeah. There's, <laughs> right? It's kind of funny. It's like investors are investing in the United States because they don't have to necessarily report that to the CRS because it's FATCA controlled. So my question before we move on to the last topic and wrap this up, because again, we could talk about this forever, is, you know, given FATCA, given some of the stuff that's going on in the world and Panama Papers, as you said, can U.S. citizens who are resident in Canada who are not compliant with the U.S. filings, can they still stick their head in the sand? No, it's a great question. Uh, they can, well, they can. They can do anything that, that they want, yeah. but we don't recommend that, all right? Yeah, I think... As we've a, talked about all that. We've talked about this offline in many sessions. My own opinion, you, and you tell me if I'm wrong, guys, is, yeah, you can do that. Continue doing it. You want to see how stupid you are? Okay. Let, let's just see. And, and I know that's a rough assessment using the word stupid, but I honest to God believe that, that people who are informed of uh, you know, how much data flow there is today and how transparent the, 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 the data is, um, if you knowingly uh, don't report, um, in my view, it's just a matter of time. And every as and as all listeners probably have experienced, every time you go to a bank or any financial institution to open an account, the bank will stuff a form in front of you to to uh, answer, and that is a uh, usually a W eight Benny form. And that will ask if you are, you are a U.S. citizen and, and other questions. That is the FATCA information collection form. And, and you, you are required to answer truthfully. And also the bank doesn't, 
it's not required. Um, it's required not to only rely on that form. They also are obligated to look for other U.S. indicia. If they have a reason to suspect that you may be a U.S. person, U.S. tax person, they are required to report that to the CRA, who then report that to the IRS. Right. So let's just cut to the chase, guys. So now, if you're a U.S. person, I guess Kim, your your question was, what do you do to comply if right. you haven't been? Right. So in other words, they've got no choice. They've got to comply. Right. And so they're and the IRS um, has visibility on that, and they're they're not heartless like Canadian accountants and Canadian <laughs> tax folks, right? The yeah, CRA. Right. I hope uh, you're, you're joking. <laughs> uh, it's true. So so the the IRS has come forward with a couple of um, voluntary disclosure programs. Uh, the I guess the the one that's widely used is the Foreign Offshore Streamline Program, and you know that that means that you're a U.S. citizen um, and it's offshore because you do not you have not spent more than thirty days or thirty five days uh, in the United States during that year, and more importantly is that you were not willful. All right, there is a willfulness standard that that you kind of alluded to in terms of knowingly. Right. right. So knowingly yeah. and willfulness is a compl- is is difference, right? And there's 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 nuance there. So you tell me there's a legal difference between Correct. the two. Correct. Yeah. Right. And so the issue is is that yeah, you you maybe you know you you know you're a U.S. citizen and you know you haven't been been filing, but you are just to quote unquote you know dumb to realize that you have to do this every year. Right. Or you thought okay, well I got this passport now, something you know I don't have to. So there's 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 a nuance there in terms of willfulness, right? So going back to my harsh assessment, so you're a U.S. citizen, resident in Canada. You've been advised by let's say a firm like ours that that you've got no choice. You've got to comply. Here's all the risks, and then you continue to put your head in the sand, mm-hmm. um, which, which I call stupid. Mm-hmm. But you would call what legally? You would, would that be willful? Yeah, you're you're getting close to willfulness, right? Especially if you, um, for example, open up your royal bank account and do not disclose right. that you're a U.S. citizen. Now you're doing it knowingly, and it's getting harder to harder to maintain you are not willful with all the news outlets who have talked about this issue for now what. Mm. Almost 10 years. Almost right? 10 years. Yeah. And guys, it depends on, for example, as we talked about at the beginning of the program, let's say you're born to U.S. citizens, but you were not born on U.S. soil. Right. Right. Everything that says to you that you were born in Canada, your passport's Canadian, you know, you didn't realize you to, that, or you forgot you're Canadian. Your, See, something your like that, were, I'm guessing the IRS would be more sympathetic to, right? Yeah. Then then you're 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 more, you know, you're, you're made for that streamlined program. Right. The streamline program is not meant for somebody that says, yeah, let them catch me. Absolutely not. Correct. Right. I mean, that to me, again, I'm not a lawyer. You are. But that seems to me that it's treading dangerously into the criminal territory. Yes, correct. And then the other program is the relief procedures, as we you know, call it. Right. And that's for U.S. citizens who have renounced but have never filed uh, okay. their U.S. tax returns. Right. That's a, that's a different program, uh, different criteria. So bottom line on that topic before we close with the last topic is there's solutions. The solutions may not be perfect and it may not be you know, great, mm-hmm. but the bottom line is you've got to comply. That's right. And it's, so. a, it's a two-step process. You have to come, you have to have the, the, the right team behind you. So one, they could assess whether you qualify for the streamline. 
right. foreign this, this sounds or like a sales domestic. Pitch. No, it's it's for everybody, <laughs> right? If 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 you're listening to this, then then you are you're you care about you know compliance with U.S. tax laws, yeah, right? Absolutely. If you're in Canada, right? Absolutely. Or you know somebody, so you you have to, you have to make make sure you have the right team behind you that do the analysis and the streamlined, and then they can follow through on getting the tax returns done. Yeah. So last thing, um, quickie. Although it's not a quick topic, it's actually a difficult topic, and you've kind of alluded to it in, uh, earlier on. U.S. citizens are also subject to U.S. estate tax mm -hmm. on death. Um, as I understand the U.S. estate tax, it's it's if you die, your all of your assets need to be computed at fair market value, regardless if they're tax-paid assets or not. Mm -hmm. um, and to the extent that the fair market value of those assets exceeds the current exemption amount, then you'll be uh, subject to the estate tax on the applicable tax rate. And so today I understand roughly the exemption amount is 11.3-ish million. Mm -hmm. And so there's not a lot of Americans that have assets in excess of 11.3 million, um, you know, on the population as a whole, but it's it's still something that you have to look at very carefully. So, exactly. So if I described this correctly. It or? is, and, 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 and you've done a good job, as usual, Kim. It's the highest it's ever been. All right. right, but the issue with that, with the exemption, and we call it the unified credit, um, is because it counts for both gift tax and estate tax. Right, is that it's you know it's a political football, and you have to know when you're going to die, and who's going to be in power. <laughs> I don't think we're in control of most of that. Right, usually. Right, and the other part of it though is, and I think we we talked about this earlier though is. Um, for the estate tax, it's even Canadians are subject to the estate tax if they own U.S. status property. Right. And we see, guys, a lot of clients who says, well, my, my CPA told me that as long as my net worth is less than $11.5 I'm okay. Is that right, Kim? If you're a Canadian with, with U.S. status property? Well, in some most cases it should be based upon the, the formula in the treaty, right, yeah. which is fairly unusual. But in... But in some cases, not, because as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, the way that the United States calculates net worth is different than the way Canada does. For example, if your net worth you think is, say, $11.3 right on the button, mm. but you also are, uh, your state is the beneficiary of a life insurance policy, mm -hmm. well, under Canadian principles, generally you're not going to you know, include the life insurance death benefit, at least anyhow, mm -hmm. into the uh, fair market value computation, mm -hmm. but under U.S. principles, my understanding is as long as there's incidents of ownership of that policy prior to death, then mm -hmm. yes, you will. Yeah, that's exactly right. So there, there's there's a there's a there's a, uh, a calculation that has to be be done analysis of what goes into. But I guess where I was going is 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 under the treaty, right? You don't uh, a Canadian does not get no the eleven and a half million. That's only for U.S. citizens. It's a Amount, exactly. Right? We see a lot of our clients are like, well, my U.S. CPA says right. I got And I'm like, no, because you're, you didn't tell your U.S. CPA that you're Canadian. Right. Right. Um, so that's another thing that a, a client should be aware of. Yes, there's an estate tax and it applies to Canadians and U.S. citizens. Right. It applies to everybody that owns U.S. status property. And Kim, you alluded to for U.S. citizens, there is a there's another calculation in terms of what goes into that, right? Right versus Canada, right? And it's it's complicated, and and so maybe just to to close it off here, Kenneth, Canadians Canadian residents who are U.S. citizens and then they die in Canada, 
is dealing with their estate planning easy? Like, uh, is the treaty perfect when it deals with this? Because Canada, is, as probably a good chunk of our listeners know, has does not have an estate tax. It was mm-hmm. abolished in 1972 because we used to have one. Mm. But now we have a deemed disposition on death, which includes you know, all of your property with very minor exceptions and rollovers. But does it, does it harmonize nicely or can it result in, when I say harmonize, does Canada's deemed disposition regime and United States estate tax regime harmonize nicely on death? Mm-hmm. So the Canadian regime taxed the capital gain on death whereas the U.S. estate tax, tax for, um, if it applies, 40% of the gross value. Um, so the estate tax actually is not an income tax, but the treaty do have provisions to, to allow in, I would say, most circumstances uh, for the U.S. estate tax to, um, to shelter against any Canadian tax on death. Um, generally speaking, of course, there is... There may be a lot of uh, circumstances and uh, nuances that could cause uh, leakage. Um, so it's never simple. Right. Yeah, and it's a good point, Ken, because, and I think this is where you're going, Kim, is when you're, you're thinking about your estate planning documents, right? And if you have a will where mm-hmm. one spouse is a U.S. citizen, the other is, is not, you have to be very careful in how that will gets Absolutely. Started. Right, and the, language. the so-called dispositive provisions need to be very, very carefully thought out. Exactly, and a lot of our Canadian lawyers will just drive by the issue, right? But you have to make make sure that you put in the the language um, from the treaty, mm-hmm. as well as domestic law, like Q dots and, and those kinds of things. Worst case, you can have U.S. estate tax apply twice when uh, that's your right. spouse die. Right? That's that's if that's not right. properly planned out. Mm-hmm. So lots to lots there and. You know, in this half-hour podcast that we've done, I want to thank you guys, uh, Kenneth, and thanks, Asim, for your both of your great, great knowledge. But I guess summarize, it's complicated. If you're a U.S. citizen in Canada, whether you're high net worth, low net worth, lots of income, no net income, you're complicated, unfortunately, and that's just a fact of life. And so don't hide. Make sure you're compliant with U.S. tax law. Make sure you're compliant, obviously, with Canadian tax law. And we're always here to help. So thanks once again, guys, and uh, bye now. Oh, and I just want to point out, don't hide, comply, rhymes. (laughs) Okay, I like that. (laughs) And bye actually rhymes too. (laughs) All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye.